0: Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books and Great Homeschool Conventions.
1: Okay, what are we talking about today, Brian Cole, yeah. here on Stories Our Soul Food, episode number 57. We are welcoming- That's tradition. Really? Is
2: it 57? No, it's
1: tradition that we always misnumber We get the number wrong,
0: but actually, this is a big one. It's number 50. Wow. Let's just call it
1: episode L.
0: That's Roman numeral for 50, not a sign for L- loser. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thanks. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Brian, for translating.
0: <laughs> <laughs> episode yeah. L. We're here with Christine Cohen, <laughs> who- is among many things. Special uh, guest of
1: episode L. Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Those are the types of helpful edit notes Brian puts in the lines of my manuscripts.
1: <laughs> yeah. Clarify so. that this does Clarify. not mean loser. Yes.
2: Or he'll be like, does, is Venice really in a lagoon? I got that one. <laughs> Sorry. This won't be make fun of Brian podcast. Uh,
1: uh, yeah. No, I think you just Kind of self-owned yourself (laughs) on that one. Venice Venice Venice. in a lagoon. It is
2: actually. Is it in a
1: lagoon? Yeah. I went ahead and swallowed my pen on that one. (laughs) I'm going to say no. It's not a lagoon. I defy. I
2: did the important research
1: to say and double checked on. Didn't you rewrite that? You said bay. I thought you changed it to bay. No, I did not.
2: I I I wrote stet on that note. What is a a
1: lagoon, Christine? (laughs) What is a lagoon? A lagoon.
2: What is it? Well, I don't know. It's like an inlet that's shallow. Did you find
1: one person on the internet who agreed with you that it Not was a lagoon? Not one. <laughs> Three. I checked,
2: this <laughs> I checked with at least five witnesses. Okay,
1: five witnesses, okay. And but, Wikipedia. But what is a lagoon?
2: <laughs> that's what I said, it's an, an inlet, it? a narrow one. It's an, what, it's is what it? Venice is
1: Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Nate. See Venice, okay. It's the so anyway, we're the, here on episode L yeah. to talk about the new book, Sinking Kingdom. City. Sinking Kingdom. <laughs>
0: edit sinking we're here kingdom. to talk kingdom. about christine's new book which i'm holding <laughs> in exactly. my hand sinking
1: kingdom we talked about this <laughs> the it's sinking, sinking city i have said
2: sinking kingdom a couple times already sinking kingdom. and i
1: i i i want this to be perfectly clear i did that on purpose yeah because i'm bitter and i hold a grudge uh, that's okay i yeah. actually think the title sinking city is fantastic yeah i like sinking kingdom also you fans out there when you read it can call it either one i think yeah, as, long as, you, as long as you buy it and like it i think christine will be fine think, with either
2: i think that's exactly it willing yeah. to sell out on that
1: yeah i want to <laughs>
0: <laughs> we did yeah i guess we'll
1: if you have buy to three keep... copies you can call it floating kingdom <laughs> you can
0: call it whatever
2: you want and i'll sign it
1: yeah sinking city yep well those of you who've
0: listened to it's about a lagoon the early episodes know christine it has that way it's a lagoon way. on the cover what do we say about christine besides the fact that she's an author a craft beer aficionado an
1: apparent. authoress yeah yeah.
0: Um, apparent, she has a an apparently very dumb dog who's endearing. Yep. Based on your Instagram. Shows
2: up a lot on Instagram.
0: Yeah. So you guys share a lot of
1: I don't have dumb dogs. I have very smart you dogs. You have smart
2: dogs. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Highly but, intelligent dogs.
2: We got ours for his beauty, not his brains. <laughs> but
0: that's gotcha. fine. All right. What's his name? Willoughby. Willoughby.
2: <laughs> and yeah, I mean really I feel like part of the bonding experience for Joel and I with this dog is just mocking him. Mercilessly a lot. Mm. And mm. any attention is good attention. He loves it. So
0: there gotcha. You go. So yeah. he's the he's the sacrificial goat of the Cohen household. Yes.
1: And to be clear also, smart dogs are still morons. Yeah. So <laughs>
2: <laughs> that is true. Yeah. I, yeah.
1: I have an intelligent my dogs are of an intelligent breed, which is still a toddler. You know, yeah. just yeah. they're toddlers. Yesterday Three permanent toddlers. In the
2: early mornings, we heard the sound of our dog Ralphing on the carpet, which is like, <laughs> you know, the best thing to wake up to. And it was duct tape. He had eaten an entire <laughs> wad of duct tape and then didn't sit well with him. So he, he deserves to you be You need
1: locked. a more durable breed of dog. If they, if they can't keep down their duct tape, what kind of a He's dog He's a greater Swiss
2: mountain dog. I mean, the name alone, you think you're getting something noble, but no. He
0: wanted only natural things.
2: He's a lesser tropical island flower. That's what he is.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, great. Well, I wanted to ask you both actually about the process of starting the novel. Okay, so we we'll, we start with Christine, right? Should we
1: should we just plug this book outright real quick and make sure everyone buys this? Yes, Sinking Kingdom slash City, absolutely Sinking City, Sinking Kingdom. Buy all the Sinking Cities. Please pre order it.
2: So yep. Brian, let's me canopress dot com.
1: Also, to clarify it's sinking in a lagoon. Yeah. If you want That's to know where at. it's sinking, it's in a lagoon.
0: Yeah, this is a fantastic book about awesome Venetian princess. Yeah, who actually. Uh, has to learn many things about the secrets hid in the city of Venice. It's set in... Um,
1: and Christine, why do you lie so much about Venice?
0: Why do
2: I... <laughs> because it's historical fantasy,
1: because
2: I can get away with whatever is I want. Is this what
1: Venice is actually this like? This is what... No. Why have I never visited?
2: That's why I do the alternate historical, <laughs> so I can alternate make it up. Alternate
1: historical fantasy. Maybe
2: real Venice isn't in a lagoon, but <laughs> this one is.
1: Yeah,
0: Christine, why did you decide to jump back in in time, in time. with this second, second novel?
2: So um, this actually goes back to well, you're about how we decide to start novels because I I realized that- was That was a question I
1: was trying to ignore. All of my <laughs>
2: books. Well, here we go. <laughs> I start with place or I start with uh, the feel. So usually what ends up happening is I will read a book and think, I want to write something that makes me feel the way I felt when I read this book. So with The Winter King, it was Till We Have Faces. Right. With The Sinking City- I had just read Jonathan Strange and Mr Norrell and I was like this is awesome I want to do something like this that gives me the same feel for kids for YA
0: and is also hopefully not 800 pages and it's
2: not long. it does not have footnotes <laughs> but so then really what happened was I was just trying to shuffle through like cities places that would give that same feel that I guess London Britain has in Jonathan Strange and Mr Norrell uh, I it actually almost was New Orleans I looked at that for a bit and decided.
1: Also in a lagoon. Yeah. <laughs> now that we've I caught well- you. I caught you. So you don't know what a lagoon no, is. No, I
2: do not. But I, 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 I felt like, I think I was actually looking for somewhere, you know, water with close proximity to water. Something that was.
0: You really like the mix between the, the, the classes here? Because mm-hmm. a big part of your heroine story, Leona's story, is that she. She thinks she sees herself clearly in her place in Venice and yep. does not.
2: Yes. And I decided that doing that in New Orleans would be Well back when I was first starting to write this I was still thinking about publishing in New York and I was like that's not a place I can write much about.
0: Um also having not Oh, you would have they would have accused you of appropriating. Yeah. yeah. Louisianian.
2: For some reason Venice is mm. safe but New Orleans Italians. is not. Yeah.
1: Them's whiteies exactly. even if them's dark whiteies.
2: Exactly. So but then, uh, then I saw a uh, an article, recent article in a magazine that was talked about that said Venice is sinking, and my first thought was, no, it's not. Something's pulling it under. And then, then but, I yeah. had to go with Venice. So
1: this is much like uh, a story I haven't written. This is one of the things that I really liked about this was I thought, yes, and it made me want to write a story about the Leaning Tower of Pisa as leaning on purpose and as on a clock that's actually like set by yeah. one t- on a timer. Yes. But for what something ominous. But uh the vibe I got on this and I have not read the final draft. I've read I read an early draft yeah. which is probably 3 or 4 iterations ago mm-hmm. at this point. Mm-hmm. So I am excited to read the the finished version. But it's such a different mythical tone than Winter King was. Yes. So it makes sense to me that you went about it the way you did. So Winter King is going after one flavor which is like you know, serving ice cream on Christmas outside. Yeah, yep. so cold. Yes, yep.
2: I get that a lot from um, but readers. That's, but
1: that's the point. Yeah. And you're, and it's it's great. And this one is very, very different and has a different kind of peril, different kind of fear.
2: Yeah, I wanted this one to feel, so the Winter King, and I've said this a lot, but the Winter King was is supposed to feel like a myth. The Sinking City is supposed to feel like a fairy tale, but not a Disney-fied fairy sure. tale. It's, It's a... A the real ones one with things. Girls end
1: up with their feet cut off yeah, in boxes. Yeah,
2: exactly. The ones <laughs> with real darkness.
1: So a Germanic fairy tale, but set in Venice. Yeah. <laughs> Just right. keep
2: going back to the, <laughs> yeah. to that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, and you know, um, I think it's it still has, ho- hopefully, it still feels like a Christine story. But I, I knew I didn't want to write it, it the does. same thing. It does feel
0: like one. I can you say know. that. Yeah. Well, that's how good. Could it, how could it <laughs> not? How could it
2: not? Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Unless you really did sell out in the worst sense of the word, which you didn't. <laughs>
1: So this is your second, you wrote the first draft before you wrote the first draft of Winter King, right?
2: No, I wrote the first draft of this while the Winter King was on submission as a, it, back when it was, when I had okay. an agent in New York. And so I was you on wrote that.
1: draft one of Winter King, and then mm-hmm. you wrote draft one of Sinking City.
2: Actually, in between those, I wrote a contemporary murder mystery, YA, that I tossed.
1: Let's ignore that. Let's pretend <laughs> like that didn't happen. It was and good so, practice. So, before you wrote draft two of Winter King, you wrote draft one of Sinking City.
2: Yeah. Uh, yes.
1: And what was it called yeah. at the time?
2: The Sinking Kingdom.
1: Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. You just hear the King King. King <laughs> King. king, king. Yeah. Sinking. sinking Kingdom. Winter King. Sinking
2: Kingdom. Yes. Winter it, King. It's sinking a lot Kingdom. To say. It's
1: all one author. Right. Yeah. Also, I get named. it. I understand Brian's objections, but he was. <laughs> You know, I want. Let's just move on. So <laughs> you almost said Brian was wrong. He decided yeah. to save that for later <laughs> in the episode. <laughs> right. so, save that for when we hit the record button again. Right. Say that for between episode L and episode L one for the BTS. Roman Actually, numerals. so the Roman numerals. So you wrote Winter King draft one. Draft one of this book happened before any editing of Winter King. Mm-hmm. You got all the way to. And well, how far in the editorial process did you get through Winter King before you came back to this one?
2: Um, I did, I did a first full editorial pass through Sinking City, I think before we even started doing edits on the Winter King. Interesting. I, I think I, I would have to go back and look. It's now been three years. So how many
1: drafts did it take you to get to the finished version for this? For this one? Yeah. Um,
2: probably mm, four to five.
1: Okay, so you got to a second draft while Winter King was yeah, so, short of finished. So
2: what I did with the Sinking City is I I finished it. I sent it off. I have three beta readers, th- uh, three or four that I trust. Highly paid. <laughs> nothing. They are paid nothing.
1: They are paid the enormous privilege of, of being my beta book. readers. Uh,
2: but actually, we reciprocate because they're authors as well. So. You should stop doing that. Yeah.
1: You should not do anything for them. This no, is Nate, an enormous privilege. You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, fine. <laughs> Retracted. Uh, Strike that from the record. Wow,
2: look at that, guys. Wow. I Yeah, so I, I sent it to them. I got feedback. And it was actually some of the most helpful feedback I've ever gotten on a manuscript because this was the manuscript where I realized that I can write things that I think are super fun because I love the characters that everyone else finds utterly boring. Like characters in hmm. rooms having conversations that I was like, this is the best, right? And everyone came back to me with like, this entire plot line has to go. It was so boring. I was skimming those parts. It was also a, a bloated first draft. It was a hundred and something.
1: K. I think that's the one I read.
2: No, by the time I got to you, I had cut the. Uh, the I whole, read the lean one. You the, the slightly <laughs> leaner. It also got cut down after you read it. But I read um, I read
1: the draft in week two of fat camp.
2: You. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I I am actually quite glad that only a few people read that first draft because it was just a funny like cold water the face moment where you're like oh (laughs) I I can think something is truly great because you know a lot of times you hear the advice of you should write like if it's interesting to you if it's boring to you it's going to be boring to the reader if it's interesting to you it's going to be interesting to the reader turns out that is not universally true and it, it uh, might
1: be universally false, actually. Yeah. It turns out that authors as a breed are kind of weird people, yeah, we're not normal, which means that things could interest us for mm-hmm. an extended period of time exactly that are not interesting. This
2: was like a whole like anarchist revolutionary moment in the book with uh, these assistants to the magicians that, as it turned out, no one cared about except for me. so. I was like, isn't it interesting the inner workings of how the Venetian like s- social structures I, might- I
1: do feel like there was a little bit of that left. There
2: was still. Uh, we I had to cut it, it back I, I, we, I even think more. I got to
1: read a little bit of it. And I will say, I'm weird enough to have liked that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought- so, that- I can understand why it needed to not be in the book. Yeah, but I'm, but I, it, it was appealing to we me. We didn't cut it all
0: out. I just no. thought we needed to not get into an entire political theory behind- yeah, their view of it. So, yes, yes, yeah, that makes, so, so that's yeah. what we did. And we, then we, we were turning into Jonathan
2: Strange and Mr. Norell. It is was this technically Is this
1: technically middle grade? No, I,
0: I think I think this one is the most YA of Christine's books. Two books be, of her two 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 <laughs> two books. But I still included a solid, a it's solid not a middle grade book that's perfect for ages ten to sixteen. So Ooh, I'm pushing it. Wow, oh, that's a broad,
1: that's a broad yeah. shotgun blast right I, there. I
0: know that because I've heard back from all of those readers in all that those, camp. All those, okay.
1: Great. So okay. the you would say this is YA, mm-hmm. and yep. what would make you say that? Well, I would say most people listening still will struggle with that distinction.
0: Yeah, I would say that this book is a book about not just adventure, but also a heavy helping of of Leona and a relationship in that book. Mm. So as soon as you add that element- It gets
1: deep into the feels. Yeah. The romance.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can't really talk about Venice and the masks and the plagues versus the magicians, plus the element, little bit of magic she's got in there without having a very romantic you feel to the book. You can't have masquerade which balls is,
2: without a romance.
0: Right, it's one of the ones that really- I have. <laughs> <laughs> Monthly. <laughs> <laughs> So this is one of those, the first things that grabbed me when I was reading, you know, the sample of Christine's book was just how fun it felt to be in the Venice element. So this is
1: older because there's Mm -hmm. more, Yeah. More to leave.
0: Yep. But I also, that's why I do say, it feels like a helpful way to handle love, the way a fairy tale does. The Mm -hmm. fact that the princess gets with the prince, calling it a love story, it is on one level, but also in the our current y a environment it's not a love story, but also yeah. I was
2: you know I was playing with the the Shakespearean tale. yeah girl dresses up as a boy trope, which again, like if you're looking at Twelfth Night, you know what's gonna happen at the end sure um,
1: if you're looking at the history of fairy tales, you know what you're gonna happen if you look at contemporary society, it's a little more yeah, the ice is thin, right.
0: So if you go look at the contemporary YA novels.
1: Cross-dressing is a slightly different trope.
0: Exactly. (laughs) And so the fact that Leona has to disguise herself in order to see what her real problems are and the real problems with her city, that's a very fun theme. Mm -hmm. And well, you have to read the book. But I did very intentionally
2: make sure that it was not a, oh, look how fun it is to be a boy. I wish (laughs) I got to be in these clothes all the time. You know, like there is a fine line of walking there with. Just with a current cultural zeitgeist. I didn't want it to become that. Yeah,
1: it's a counterpoint. Yeah. And it was even in the very first draft I read.
2: Yeah. She missed her old dresses. Like, she missed being a woman.
1: Yeah, I mean... She's not tapping into a true part of herself. She's actually... Right. Truly disguised.
0: Mm -hmm. Right, and uh, this happened a bit with the Winter King, but the... The sort of the walls that get put around you in a particular place, the fact that uh, being a human means you think you have certain limitations and you're usually wrong about what those limitations are.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. People tend to be completely wrong about themselves. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so that's a big thing. It is a truth
1: universally acknowledged.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of another one that's all about love. But if you say that. Yeah. Pride and prejudice is all about love. So this one
1: is a classic fairy tale. Yeah. A Mediterranean fairy tale. Mm Yep, But it is, because it's a classic fairy tale, it's got more YA themes, but it is still middle grade because it's classic. That word classic means it's younger. Yep. Right. Because it's not not dabbling in dark themes or older themes. Yeah. So if you you start talking about, uh, people treat YA middle grade, for those of you listening, like it's a rating system. Yes. So sometimes people say YA, they mean like hard PG-13. Yep. -hmm. Like this is for, like this is just short of R. Right. Like it's almost R. And that's what they mean by YA, yeah. right? And it's just it, the
0: level you don't want your
1: parent having yeah. seen you reading it. And this is not that, right? As uh, opposed then, to
2: more, just more complicated relationships, yeah. more complicated plot lines. Yeah, yeah. I'm never going to be like, well, now that I'm writing adult, I'm not uh, a Christian yeah. anymore. I, get to be I can write whatever I want. Like this can be godless. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now that I'm serving when older I'm, children food, it can be poison. It can be
2: the <laughs> awful stuff, which is really most awful of what's coming out right now.
1: Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> in
2: the YA world.
1: Uh yeah, it really ba- basically YA to middle grade is not a rating system even though people talk about it that way. Yeah. Uh, it's also not just about the age of the protagonist even though people talk about it that That's way. That's the
0: other thing is that mm-hmm. I think
1: she's a little older. She's a little older than yep.
0: Cora in The Winter King. Yeah. Well, Leona, I think is 16. Mhm. it opens with her birth birthday? Yes. Her- yeah.
2: Um yeah. Her 16th birthday.
1: And now Gala. the other thing I want to talk about is male readers. Yeah. What's the best way to get boys to read this book?
2: <laughs> There's demons near the end. No, that was actually how the Winter King. I feel like I had I had male readers who were like, "Well, I liked it because there were wolves that ate people." It's like,
1: well, okay. once, one in a paragraph, one time, yeah, one paragraph. <laughs> so- <laughs> Thanks for that, Christine.
2: <laughs> so there, I don't know. I I've been thinking about that a lot because well, I am an, curious a- um, with this one because we're going much more, it's I first mean, person point of view.
1: The wizards are awesome. Yeah, The world is awesome. The magicians are That's, cool. The, That's the, the third
0: reason I call it YA, it's because it's first person. Yeah. Yes.
1: Why? How is that a thing? No, YA, first
0: person, <laughs> it is. You can look it up. I think it's a 70, <laughs> 30 split. <laughs>
1: Okay, moving on.
2: I agree with Brian. I'm taking (laughs) his side on this one.
1: Moving on. Luckily, this is not a democracy. (laughs) (laughs) There is objective truth. And Um, the truth is in the statistics
2: that Brian just quoted. This is
1: like, stop the steal. Stop the steal. I'm going to post the the, the survey (laughs) in the show notes. In the
2: show notes. Yeah. No, but I, I do think, again, like with The Winter King, we talked about this last time. I think that boys are more than willing to read a book that is about girls, as long as it is universally true to just like human nature in general, as long as it is interesting, as long as it isn't like, like the thing that I think boys are averse to is just the awful girls literature and like Babysitter's Club or, you know, like of course they're not going to want to read that. Girls shouldn't be reading it anyway. So I think that Put this that is one in that in the show be notes. The Babysitter's Club?
1: <laughs> Banned. Yeah. Banned. 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 Uh, you, you basically talk about if the protagonist represents something- he- universal yeah. in human experience, then it should be interesting to male readers as well. Mm-hmm. But there's also something to wanting to understand. There's nothing wrong with wanting to understand a, a female protagonist who is in fact going through something intense and interesting. I think it's, it's yeah. far more to do with, if you think about Katniss and Hunger Games and why a bunch of boys read that. It had nothing to do with the fact that her situation was universally human and everything to do with the fact that it was not. It mm-hmm. was except for I mean the killer be killed the violence the intensity of it so the intensity of the peril the complexity of the world the interestingness of the world boys we can all just admit are not complicated so if the character is interesting and the peril is interesting and intense then boys are interested right but I guess what I would say is like the truth
2: behind it too the truth behind that is Katniss is laying down her life to protect her little sister like that hook for a minute (laughs) yeah I know (laughs) I've I've listened to Stories Are Sold. I know minute, where this goes. For a minute. But, but that initial um Thanks for listening, truth. by the way Christine. You're
1: welcome.
2: <laughs> I wanted to know, you know, yeah. what's what's going on in this Do world. a little
1: opposition research.
2: Uh but that's something <laughs> that <laughs> that's something that boys can get behind as well. Like, yeah. Yes. The you know
0: yeah, well, taking uh, taking my little edit. sister's place. That's part of the edit that we looked at is, hey, is obviously the flavor of Venice with ball gowns and masks and a little bit of romance could tend to skew um, very feminine like in its readership. But mm-hmm. uh, then you go in and add the aspect that there are court magicians who all have their intrigue going on and there are monsters that are trying to get the main protagonist and all of a sudden you've got uh, really fun ingredients for a fairy tale.
1: Yeah, so if you have the magicians and you've got pretty awesome villainy and, mm-hmm. and this classic fairy tale setup this is not Femi, this is not girly right there is plenty that is feminine there is plenty that is highly feminine in the culture in the gowns in the balls and the you know just in the architecture in the history of the place uh, in in the actual mythical fabric of the place but you also just have a very interesting character going through something intense
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that that can be that's your you know,
0: test for whether a book is good, right?
1: Yeah, uh, well, simple or, enough, or good enough idea. for good enough yeah. for a 12-year-old boy. But there's there's also something to whether or not the journey of the person is the, the journey of the protagonist is the kind of thing, and this goes to the heart of what this whole po- podcast is for, is the kind of thing that affirms and catechizes readers in honoring the honorable mm-hmm. and loving the lovely and hating the things they are supposed to hate. And so if it's girls reading about male protagonists, you don't want them sympathizing with and starting to admire guys who are dirtbags right. and being catechized in wanting the bad boys, nor do you want them being catechized in wanting the effeminate boys,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, the, the nice guy who's always there to just support her and never be decisive. But conversely, you also don't want guys to have stories where, girls are just wilting and useless mm-hmm. but nor do you want them to be butch just guys with right. long hair yeah where it's just yeah exactly Which just a guy in a wig yeah. and and has all these male impulses so for a for a boy to read a story about a girl going through a going through a journey of development that involves feminine courage
0: mm-hmm.
1: and feminine bravery in a context that is feminine sacrifice and so on in a, in a context that is interesting and intense is actually really healthy because it catechizes boys in attraction, in what to admire in women, in what traits to respect and look for. Uh, it is, in fact, soul food. It isn't th- it's the thing you want. It's, boys are going to grow up and they're going to admire certain traits. Yeah. Or they're going to despise certain traits. And, and actually fictionalizing a character who has flaws and faults and goes through a significant struggle and an intense one in a weird world and navigates it in uh, you know in a noble way uh, is a great and healthy thing for a guy to read.
0: Yeah, I was reminded of this cuz my son has just picked up a bunch of redwall books and the the he just reached Muriel of Redwall which I think is the fourth one. First one one of the few with a girl main character, a girl protagonist. She's a mouse. Of a course, mouse but, a mouse girl. <laughs> a mouse girl. And it reminds me a lot I thought that one was pretty unique when I read it back as a ten-year-old yeah. boy, and uh, and she handles things differently. She's not the one who puts on the armor and goes and cuts down all the wildcats like Martin the Warrior. She instead has different skills in, right. in, a, in a different yeah. goal. So I'm curious to see what he'll think of that one because, uh, from the cover, you know she doesn't even have a weapon. I think she has a knotted rope that she hmm. occasionally will.
1: That's interesting, yeah. Beat rats with. But this is the kind of thing where you don't say to your daughter as you hand her fantasy franchises, I want you to read this because I want you to know what kind of guy to be attracted to. But that has to be an undercurrent in your thinking. You have to be ruling out books that you don't want to be training your 10 and 12-year-old daughters to be attracted to. Like, I don't want you attracted to sparkly vampires. Right. So I don't want you to be attracted to like a moth to flame to men who will destroy you. Like, so we're not reading this. We're not reading this for pleasure. We're not going to imprint these things. But the same goes for boys. Mm -hmm. So what kinds of stories, what kind of women do they, what kind of fictional women do they encounter? And are they all impossible caricatures, you know, faux femininity, pornification of women in video games? Because the video video game chicks are all just downstream cartoons of porn culture.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. You know, they can have all their clothes on, but that's, you know, they're all downstream from that. Um, and if that's where fantasy comes from, if that's where like, yeah, I want, I want a girl who can, you know, climb a rock wall and knock a head off a zombie with a roundhouse kick that way in a tight tank top, like this is not healthy. Or you <laughs> see is...
2: the like George R. R. Martin descriptions right. of women where you're kind of like, have you met a woman before right like, you know and i given his they own physical all, appearance
1: and his own personality i think probably not i don't not. think i don't think he ever yeah, had guys all
0: they're yeah. so cold and calculating and removed from everything yeah he
1: wrote <laughs> he wrote like uh well he wrote like an incel but if we're gonna not too fine a point on it yeah so there, there you go <laughs> the end like he wrote like somebody who hated them despised despised them right so basically you take a character here a female protagonist and it's the doorway for a boy is this is exciting, mm-hmm. but the thing that's healthy about it is it's exciting, and there is actually a girl who's who is distinctly feminine, yeah, going through an actual feminine journey and growing and learning and becoming better and braver and more noble the way she should, um, and that does imprint, and that imprints in ways that people are designed to imprint. Mm-hmm. So. You hand books to kids to make them love the lovely and honor the honorable, and that's going to include what kind of girl they're attracted to later. And they might not know why. You know, they yeah. probably won't know why. They won't say, "Hey, there was a book I read when I was thirteen. And you remind me of that girl. I've always liked that afi- fictional girl." It's like, <laughs> no, that would be that would be a problem.
2: It's interesting to me because I, um, as I've thought back on now, *The Winter King* and *The Sinking City*, um, because my main characters, the the girls, are very strong in terms of personality they're mm-hmm. strong minded strong-willed they and that is often that reveals certain flaws about them right yep and but it it also very much affects the type of male counterpart that i craft for them yep because then so you know you have got peter and the winter king and nico nico and the sinking city and and they both have to be they have to rise to the occasion of what i've given them as as the, <laughs> the female protagonist because, yeah, I'm not going to end up, you know, they're not going to end up together if he's just a, a wallflower. And, you know, it, it would be the most frustrating if of he's a relationships. Sidekick. Yeah.
1: And actually, there's a lot right now in fiction where people say, man, it's so nice to see the, the girl take the lead.
2: Right. And the boy it's is like, just a soft, like marshmallow or whatever. And, and she,
1: c- she can. Main example of that. She can get the win. There's nothing wrong yeah. with the girl right. getting the win, but the guy as sidekick. I can't think of a clearer example
0: than that than Luca. If anyone's watched Luca recently... That is that is, the mermaid one? It's the mermaid.
1: one. I thought we were talking about the basketball player, and I was like, I don't. I just can't be good.
0: Oh, Doncic. No, <laughs> I'm fine with Doncic. <laughs> He's great.
1: He's kind of taking the lead <laughs> a little <laughs> bit. He's no, uh, the
0: the movie where the boy is the sidekick to the girl and is in fact a mermaid. <laughs> so, a merboy. Is that, is
2: that a Pixar?
0: <laughs>
1: that was just a mermaid. He's a
0: mermaid. He's a mermaid. Oh uh, yeah. He is yeah. And uh, well, there's much else weird going on with that movie, right?
2: But. So to me it's like in order for for these relationships to be satisfying in my books, um, the boy has to be strong enough to push back against her the main character once she is in he
0: has you know, to be the kind of the so kind of that, guy that she
1: would not be Does that mean with. the girl's exactly. always
0: does that mean the guy's always right? No, nope. <laughs> <laughs> have you? I was
2: going to well, say have you read you the Winter it, King, but that sounded really catty. considering <laughs> you edited it. I say uh, this yeah. is
1: this has, is actually an intervention. We've been meeting to bring this up. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah. Uh, why yeah. is the guy not is, always right? Why is he not?
2: No, but and that's something where they both need to learn, which is very Jane Austen. You know, you get that in Pride and Prejudice. There, there is usually. On but both wasn't Darcy sides. just right? He was right about everything. No, Nate, you're <laughs> wrong. Was, there have been was, it twice in this episode. <laughs> he was neither
0: pride nor prejudice. He, <laughs> he, he was perfect. Yeah,
1: he was great. Pride and Prejudice is they're both located in the same character, <laughs> right?
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but because you need character arcs for everyone, well, not everyone, but the primary and secondary characters, then they both get their their moment of realization, their moment of clarity of. So let's talk
1: about taming of the shrew. Wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Can I go ahead and try and make you guys fight? <laughs> no. Uh, so one thing that Christine's protagonists seem to struggle with a lot is deceit, and that's a theme that Nate's protagonists, I don't think, do struggle with.
1: It's because I'm so good at it. The
0: deceit, <laughs> just <laughs> lying, <You laughs> just can't lying. See it, no. They don't struggle <laughs> with deceit. Uh, it's a it's gift. not one of their
1: flaws. <laughs> is that true? Uh, yeah, it's not something I find terribly interesting. Yeah.
0: You don't you don't like the deceit one because I f- I think Cora and Leona are both two two different sides of the yes, deceit. Yes, they are both. Because Cora is much more a manipulative. And I should say person.
1: also, not that I don't find them interesting. Your characters, Christine. Yeah, I yeah, don't yeah. find them interesting. Writing it is not as. I yeah. was
2: actually just wondering. I wonder if some of that has to do with me being a woman writing female characters who that is. A thing we can use very strongly and should and and I'll just say should, should. weirdly should often. Well, yeah, Radial I mean you Testament. get Rahab,
1: you, you yeah. Oh, okay. to right. say, What do you mean?
0: <laughs>
2: well, there's yeah. <laughs> there's plenty. Of, yeah, so women. That is one of the things we can use well and can use poorly. And um,
1: and Hebrew s- midwives, Moses's yep. mom, Rahab, yep. Tamar, Eve. Ruth. Mm-hmm. Ruth, no. you were gonna make a fight, but here we are, just agreeing <laughs> yeah. about this. The Sorry. thing is, even Ruth used deceit. Yeah, she to, did to yeah. score herself a husband, and she's not blamed for that. Nope. you know, yeah. it's like it's there's. It's really interesting, mm-hmm. but it's. I
0: guess it is if you think of male as a right hand power goes deceits. wrong. Yeah,
1: like so it goes yeah. totally wrong, and so as a kid, deceit. What that what deceit arcs looked like for me was walking out of my bedroom and having my friend say, Mrs. Wilson, guess what Nate did in his bedroom? He shot his Planet Mobile with a BB gun. (laughs) And I say, no, I didn't.
0: (laughs) Narrator, he
1: did. (laughs) Yeah. And then I'm mad, so I say, he did. That little snotty narc. Mm. He's the one (laughs) who shot the BB gun. He shot my Planet Mobile. Mm -hmm. And then I maintain that for three days. Yeah. I stick to my guns, literally and figuratively, for three days. Until I'm defeated via forensic evidence.
0: What fingerprints?
1: Because I was not smart. I was taken into a room with the father of my friend, the narc, let it be known. I was taken into the room with my dad and the father of my friend and handed my BB gun. And they said, How do you cock this? <laughs> and I immediately used the trick I had discovered because it was difficult to cock, where you hit the butt of the gun on the inside of your leg and just yeah. you know, I just cocked. And they had given it to the other kid and he could not do it. Oof! And it was like, and so I remember the moment very, very vividly where my dad stood up and thanked the other kid's father who left the room. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh, like what (laughs) happened? And I'm watching my dad take off his belt with a great big Winchester belt buckle. And I'm like, this is going to be bad. I'm not, and I'm still doing like post-game analysis. Like how exactly did I just
0: own myself?
1: (laughs) How did I I just lose? And I, and yeah, so that one. So parenting
0: moment, why did it, I think that's key. What your parents wanted to make sure that you were not lying, right?
1: No, they were making sure that I was. They were. And I got the belt across the back of the legs to be clear. Mm-hmm. It was really painful. It was a, uh, so yeah, it was so a say- So the, but the point is, as far as the story goes, it was all entirely motivated by anger.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like it was just anger. It was not anything other than that. It's not, it was not that interesting. I was, it wasn't like a big complicated thing. It's a funny little anecdote I can tell on a podcast, but if I tried to weave that, in a guy who uses deception is slimy and becomes more beta, and it's really, really difficult to have sympathy for them. You lose the readers. This is why we have the Jacob and Esau problem. This is why a lot of a lot of Bible readers struggle with Jacob a lot. Like they just, why does God like this guy? He's mm-hmm. a, he's smooth and a snake. And they and there's difficulty there because of the sympathy for a man who goes soft and sneaky, somebody who goes soft and sneaky instead of direct, and strong and sins in that way. Somebody who sins in strong and bold ways, and those are the lessons they have to learn and the ways they have to grow, as opposed to underhanded and backstabbing, which is what a deceiver, a male deceiver, is, is an underhanded backstabber.
2: Well, and when you even say that, because I just even from that anecdote and thinking about my daughters versus my son my daughters are much better at deception than my son. Like he, you know, when he tries to pull something over, it's usually, it, it would be something like that. Like, no, it wasn't me. It was him.
1: <laughs> it weren't Whereas me. Whereas the girls I could
2: see crafting so much. Well, you know, it went off on accident. I was doing, you know, like yep. there, there'd be much more, um, Many were sh- layers yeah. to uncover.
0: I should say, I too shot a lamp when I was a kid with a water gun and blamed it on my friend. And was defeated. <laughs> well was wow. defeated. It <laughs> so maybe it's a universal. So, male I experience. actually,
1: I had a daughter. Do- so, my daughter in the second grade, and this is the worst, my worst parenting fail, as long as we're doing that, uh, who got in trouble. She got a, a pink slip from her teacher, and a, the teacher gave her an F on something and said so she didn't turn into paper. But she came home. She's got this little name on the board and didn't turn in her paper. And bad job and I asked her like, okay, so what happened? Like, why didn't you do this? And she said, well, maybe, (laughs) maybe the window flew open and the wind came in and swept my paper (laughs) up and carried it away. And I was like, no, (laughs) and she said, well, maybe somebody, (laughs) and it just, and it got more intense and more intense and more intense and just fanciful, fanciful. I mean, like we're, Basically on the edge of there being goblins and, you know, it was wildly fantastical and in no way believable. And the worst thing about it, I could not figure out why she was lying to me and she wouldn't stop lying to me. And it just, like, I'm sitting here, we're going through rounds of discipline and we're talking through everything and I'm giving up just like, I can't figure out the motivation. Like what possible motivation does she have for this? What is she protecting? What's going on? And so it's just miserable. You know, and I'm trying to figure out how to navigate this. And I know my daughter's lying to me and she's been lying to me for, since I picked her up from school until she finally is going to bed late at night. And I still haven't solved this. And I know we're going to try to be working on it again tomorrow. And we go to school and her teacher says, oh, I found her paper. I was wrong. She turned it in. Hmm. Whoa! And I was just like, oh, gosh, you woman. What is wrong with <laughs> Could you? Could you send
2: me an email like, next time? I'm like, What?
1: What? And then I'm like, I was so upset. And I'm looking at my daughter like, why were you lying to me? Like, this is, why didn't you just say it? I turned it in?
2: Yeah.
1: She's like, well, I didn't know why my teacher was lying. I didn't, mm. I, like the motivation was, I mm. didn't understand. So I was, she was manufacturing with her imagination, all sorts of different scenarios in which her teacher might not have been lying. And, and I was just like, oh gosh, like this is the, <laughs> this is the worst. So this the, is the yeah, worst. The I just felt sick. I yeah. mean, I just felt like, hor- but. As a man, I could not even begin to understand that psychology. (laughs) I would have been pointing at my teacher and just saying, she She did did it. it, That lying woman would have have been like immediately. So anyway, like feminine psychology and deception is a very complicated thing. And And apparently this is why
2: it shows up in my stories and not Nate's.
1: Yeah. So (laughs) I don't get it. Let's just say that. I don't get it. I can't understand it. Even my own children do it.
0: I mean, I think you're right because Leona has good reasons using deception Cora mm-hmm. as well yeah yeah it's interesting it's yeah. not good it's and not... necessary and yeah. incidentally
1: lying it's not that I've never had a character lie I've never used lying as like a beating heart device yeah you know it's never at the center of a conflict yeah
2: on a side note I actually started writing it in third person Oh, interesting. And, and I made it.
1: At that point, it was still middle grade. I made it. <laughs> oh, we're going to come back to this, Nate, because I'm correct. I love it.
2: I made it one page in, and I hated it. Like, I had done months of research. <laughs> I really, I'd worked really hard. I'd done months of research. I'd done some character analysis. I, I knew my characters. I knew the way the at least the first chapter was going to go. I was, like, all set. I sat down. I wrote the first page, and it was so awful. And I didn't, the character, I mean, she sounded like just like a puppet that I was walking around a set, and I was sitting there thinking, like, what is wrong with this? I don't, I don't understand. And then I just scrapped it, deleted it, and that same night rewrote it in first person. And as soon as I was in her head, the whole thing made sense, and like I understood her as a character, and I and the the story flowed, and it was, and I never looked back. So except the one time that I think you said to me, "Do you think this should be in third person?" And then I thought briefly, and, and then
1: she thought about looking back, and she like, I was no. like, no,
2: it just didn't. For whatever, and that's a weird thing. I don't know. You've you've always written third person, correct?
1: Yep. Except for his adult books, adult and short, short stories.
2: But to me, that just felt like a very like I can't explain why that happened, but I just knew from the get go this has to be in first person.
1: That yeah. is, I'm I'm impressed with the ability to maintain first person for hundreds of pages because it is exhausting.
2: Yeah, I wrote it very quickly. It was like a band aid.
1: Yeah, well, get it out. That's what happens when you're writing first person. But yeah. it is. It is uh, there's a lot of fatigue. It is a sprint. Mm-hmm. So doing sustaining a story for that long, which is why I end up doing short stories in first person. At some point I'll have to do a full novel. Yeah. Just to prove that I can.
0: Except for up till now, the YA middle grade distinction for you holds too. First person. <laughs> no,
1: I write YA, Brian. <laughs> <laughs>
0: do you?
1: Though? I do. I write YA. If <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> you can get if your you could see on. the pointed glances the book, going on here. The books are longer than Christine's. So <laughs> oh, that's wow. And that's the new threshold. That's what makes it y- None of them are set in Lagoons.
2: Oh my gosh.
0: lagoons is how we pronounce it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Sinking City, when is it officially out? Is it out now? Can yeah, people if, get it now? Yeah,
0: if you order actually before November 30th, you get free shipping from Canon Press. That's an awesome looking hardback. So it's not out now? No. No. It's in the pre-order phase.
1: But there's a copy across from me that I can leave with.
0: Yep, there's an advanced reader copy that's going home with Nate. Which Are you happy with read... this cover?
1: Yes. Because it is oh a really beautiful cover. Gosh,
2: yeah, it's so beautiful. I Megan and Koviak did the cover art for it and um, just knocked it out of the park. I am not a I I struggle with any sort of painting, drawing. I I wish I were better at it. I've tried, but I cannot visualize. So when I see someone like take my idea and put it a cover on it like that it's just very
1: it's it's lovely it's amazing it's a great cover yeah yeah it's a great story it was a fun story even when it was barely not bloated when
2: it was still in fat camp.
1: when it was yeah when it was two weeks into fat camp it was a fun story so i'm looking forward to reading the and that's quite a process
0: we had to to, you know we wanted to that's just what editing is right i'm Mm -hmm. gonna i'm
1: gonna hit brian and and just say all my favorite parts are gone brian Where are the anarchists? <laughs> <laughs> no, that won't uh, yeah. happen. That's not what's going to happen.
2: Do you think we did more editing to this one than we did to the Winter King? I think we you needed We tear it apart to. more?
1: You needed to. It's well, I bigger. don't
2: know if I did more before I handed it off to Brian. Okay. That's what I'm I,
0: I think so. You I think, think we, we did. So? Yeah. Uh, there were a lot of stretching and squishing and plot yeah, you're tweaks right. that happened. Where there I was said-
2: that one moment where I brought my giant whiteboard into canon. <laughs> Everyone laughing as I walked by. To just Brian's like that. Just like I just did. I set it down <laughs> with all of my like, all, I don't. I think I had all the scenes written out, and I was like, "This doesn't work." And we spent a good hour and a half,
0: yeah, trying to figure out, trying to figure what out what needed make to make sure all the timelines worked. Yeah, uh, there's some really complicated stuff in this one, and also we yes. didn't want we wanted to balance the elements, so we wanted the intro section before the story really kicks off needed to be the right length in order mm-hmm. for you to get excited and get in it without. Feeling like we were in a period piece that all of a sudden became a fantasy piece. Suddenly there sense. were right. monsters. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: And then there were monsters who could not roll their eyes. <laughs> Can they move <laughs> they their just eyes? Down? Blink.
2: No, there's no good. No moving of the eyes.
0: Do they even reference eyes?
2: I, I don't know. Is that something you remember from the yeah. first draft?
1: Yeah. Hmm. See the best stuff is missing I knew it was missing. I think I took out, out the immobile eyeballs
2: sorry about that.
0: And That was a big part I've with both your novels we've said the villain has to be has to work yeah. in a particular way so mm-hmm. we ended up really boosting an early one in Winter King and then making extending the villain over the whole piece and then in this one we wanted to make sure the monsters yeah. did what a fairy tale monster. I do think that's
2: one of my weaker that's the thing I struggle with more is the villain making him Unlike Nate, who can just write the creepiest villains <laughs> out there.
1: I can, Nate's like, Let's I might not be able to relate to liars. <laughs> but, but you can
2: write some To
0: creeps.
1: Let's <laughs> make a child that is
0: possessed by <laughs> an unbodied scientist.
1: <laughs> hey, hey, we now. Have to have it's creepier than that, is. Brian. <laughs> it's much creepier than that. Yeah. yeah. That is, okay. So what's next, Christine? What's in the what's in the queue behind sinking city? You know,
2: I actually have. See, this is why when Brian asked me what do we want to talk about on this podcast, and I said I'm curious, and now it's too late to talk about how Nate starts a story because I'm back in the starting a story okay. phase. And um, are we out of time? I don't know what
1: time. I don't it's... have anywhere to be. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, we, we unfortunately we are. We got to be out go of teach? here by
1: two. Oh, no, oh no. yeah, we lose Ten the minutes. studio. Yeah. So let's let's well we can do that. We can cover time. that. We can handle.
2: Anyway, yeah, so I'm actually back at the drawing board. I, I do have another book that I wrote for the MFA program that's um, just sitting around yeah. waiting to be uh, yep. you know That little gem, on. so that's, what,
1: that's what's So I've nice. got
2: that one, but then I'm, I am also starting another novel, but it's getting me, I like being in this early stage of, I've described it as gathering balloons. Like I'm getting yeah. all the different pieces together before I take off, but it always makes me curious how other people start. Like for me, I'm realizing I start with mood. I start with the feel. That I want, um, which I guess is tied to setting, like how do I want this to feel, and then I work down from there to characters eventually. But I don't usually yeah. start with characters until I kind of have I know what I can pick from, like which camera angle I could go with. And I was curious how you how you start those.
1: It is varied a lot. So I've started with a sentence. Uh, I've started with mood and tone for sure, like the feel of a place that I want to capture, a particular. The feel of a particular mythology, the experience of a particular story. There's a and there's a ton of those feelings that I just kind of logged on the slate, like things I'd love to get to.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So the the feeling of being one of the slaves to kind of march an emperor into a burial with all the like the terracotta army. Like like here you are, the household guard taking in the dead guy, then they then they close you in. Yeah. And you're there when you've got like an afternoon's worth of, you know, fat burning on your torch, and like, okay, that's it. So an escape story from that kind of imperial tomb. Like those like really weird perils. I can start with the feel of a peril. I can start with the tone of a sentence. I can start with the character. Uh, I could also be the architecture of a, of a myth or, you know, the bones of a story. Like Mm -hmm. it would be fun to tell an Odysseus story. It'd be fun to tell. Yeah. Something else. Like it can, it can vary wildly, but that also it just gets scratched in lots of different genres, markets, media. So. It varies, different things get used differently, so that I've got a I've got a small rural story that I developed that I thought, oh, this would be a really fun novel. I'm going to work on it work on it as a novel. And I thought, no, this is a feature film. Hmm. I'm going to do this as a feature. Then I thought, no, this is a series. I'm going to do this as a TV series, and this... I'm going to kind of like lightly serialize it and make it episodic. This is more of an episodic like just character studies following this character through through different episodes, and that's where it is currently, but I don't know if it's going to stay that way so yeah. So I end up chasing different threads, lots of different routes, and then sometimes it feels right. If it's the right character and the right tone and the right mythical fabric, it's a middle grade, you know, like this is a middle grade novel, and -hmm. I think I want to give a year or two of my life to it.
2: Right. Do you ever um, take into consideration the market? Like what's, because I know that, again, that's some advice you're told never to do, never to write to the market. But even for me with the... um, because the one I wrote for the MFA program is middle grade. And I kind of yeah. intentionally did that because I was like, that's a thing you yeah. could sell now.
1: Yeah, I have. I absolutely, I mean, I think it would be foolish if you are writing professionally to not account for the market before you give this much time to something. So right. if you are a builder and you build spec houses and you say, I'm going to build a quadplex. And you're like, where are you going to build that quadplex? In a town that doesn't need them. <laughs> like, uh, you, should, you, should read th- you should really rethink that. So if you're going to give, potentially, if in any kind of publishing deal and editorial and then marketing, up to two years of your life to something, you need to get a return on it. So even if you love it, you need to know there's a market for it. People actually want to eat this food you're going to cook. You don't want to spend all this time you know, making something that nobody, nobody cares about uh, and nobody's interested in if you are a hobbyist, if you are writing for you, if you're writing for your friends, uh, the difference, be- and that that's fine, there's nothing wrong with that. There are people who are independently wealthy and they want to tinker with stories. There are people who are stay-at-home moms and they want to tinker. They have no desire to get into the grind, the actual, because you are a mom, that's what you are first. And on top of that, the work of writing novels and like getting your whiteboard out and mapping everything and the grind of making a novel good and then releasing it and doing five drafts and then getting started on the next one is brutal it's really hard and it the the actual work the suffering that goes into that is something you either enjoy and you find to be worth it or you don't so like if you're a hobbyist then be a hobbyist and write whatever you really enjoy writing and don't even glance at the market if you're doing this to try to impact the market, then you need to actually kind of cast a glance over there. Yeah. And,
2: be smart about and it. And
1: see what people are reading. And and if other people just published books exactly like yours, that should matter. Um and if they bombed, that <laughs> that should matter. So if a Western, you know, three Western movies just came out and all of them tanked, I'm not gonna go try to sell a Western movie.
2: Right. Well, and that's different than writing I don't know, that's not quite the same as writing to trends either. Like Um, because yeah, like if you start Chasing fads is different. Yeah. Chasing a fad because that would be like, by the time, like you were saying, it takes about two years if you're fast to get something out. Yeah. And, and by then no one's going to want the vampire books anymore. Or wonder
1: was huge. I'm going to write an anti-bullying middle grade. Yeah. It's like, well, Well, by the time you have, guess what? We're going to be in a pandemic and the supply chain will be broken. (laughs) (laughs) And buoyant optimism is going to be the the story, you know, the thing that sells. Mm -hmm. And then people are going to chase that and- you know, it'll be too late and we'll need some more dystopian.
0: With that wonderful note. Episode L. Episode L is complete. Comes to
1: an end. We'll get Christine back in about five minutes when she finishes her next novel. Because she's <laughs> because she is doing laps quickly now. The mile yeah. markers are whipping past the window.
0: And if you, you can't can have, have kids who like stories, Sinking City is the thing you need.
1: Boys or girls. Yes. They yep. should read it. They should read it. If you have hesitant boys, read it to them out loud.
0: Free shipping at canonpress.com. Sit
1: them down. Give them a bowl of ice cream make them listen they'll like it yes and free shipping canopress.com brian gets an extra commission (laughs) not true (laughs) but christine does
2: (laughs) yes i do
0: if you enjoyed this episode be sure to pre-order christine cohen's the sinking city pre-order your copy today at canopress.com